scripture reading this day comes from the third chapter of Ruth, verses 1 through 5, and is followed by a reading from the fourth chapter of Ruth, verses 13 through 17. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you, so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See his winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me, I will do. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, open our hearts, open our minds. And open our ears by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may receive with great joy what you say to us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There I stood Tuesday night, and it was one of those days where you go back to church. We had committee night, but there was something else that was going on on Tuesday night. I rushed home, and I never made it to the back room to get my comfortable clothes on for tonight's meeting. I stopped in the living room, and I paused like this great statue, and I turned on the TV, and I became immersed in election night America. And I did not move. I was so fixated. I almost wish they had changed the committee meeting. How in the world could they have these meetings on tonight? Someone change them. And I was frozen. So much so, I almost actually forgot to eat dinner, which never happens. I don't miss very many meals. But I wasn't just stuck there. I was stuck in the office, and I was trying to come up with the words of this sermon, trying to break this passage down, trying to see what was there, 
And every time I got to a point where something would sound good, I would go to that little box window on the right that was minimized, that I was trying not to pay attention to, but I would click it, and then I would lose my course because I would expand the window that was CNN.com because I was trying to see when the polls were closing and how voter turnout was looking. But I didn't stay stuck there. You see, I was also stuck that evening at our Vespers down in the chapel. And we sung together, This is Our Father's World. And Ellen delivered a, delivered a beautiful meditation. But I must admit that I wasn't always there because in my lap, and I made sure I sat on the chair that was outside of the pew so that I could do this. I had my leg crossed, and I had my phone lodged so I could see what the exit polls were saying and prepare myself for what kind of night this was going to be. And I know it was confirmed after the, nine the early service that every single person on my committee was struggling too because they came up to me afterwards and were like, I wasn't paying attention either. And so I didn't feel so bad. Everyone was so focused on what was going on with our election. And after some serious self-reflection that night, and it was a long night, I paid for it the next day, I really did. Many of you were probably up to like midnight. And as I thought about it for a while, I thought to myself, this feels similar. And it reminded me, as I was looking at this passage and flipping through some pages, it reminded me of possibly some of the easiest targets that we, can, that we like to pick on in the church, you know, the Israelites. We love to talk about the Israelites. We do. They're such a great example. They are, aren't they? I mean, this is a group of people who knew firsthand were delivered from bondage under Pharaoh. They got to see the signs and the miracles of God. They were led to a promised land. But all along the way, you know, we like to talk about them. They complained and complained. And yet and still, they found themselves, after all of that, looking for another deliverer another person to show them the way. This is an interesting time for us in our country. It's an interesting time for us as individuals. It's an interesting time for us as a church. Then I was reminded of what they went through in the book of Judges, you know. They possess this land and then they're asking, even though they know then they're asking over and over again, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be in power? We need, a righteous, we need a righteous judge. We need the perfect judge that is going to make every right decision, every right decree, who whenever they open their mouth is going to say the absolute right thing. What follows is a series of judges 
who time after time after time fall short, let down after let down. People hoping for a right judge. Carrie Nywoff, the pastor, founding pastor of the Connexus Church, wrote a blog, and he talks about why people are missing from the church. And he writes these words, he says, the reason why people aren't there is because of the paucity of personal experience with God. Does the world know, do we know, why we gather? We try to do it all the time. We spend so many hours in the church office trying to figure out how do we make the right statement? How do we make the right decision? In our committee, in our preaching, our teaching, our planning and programming, It almost feels like we're in the same place the Israelites were. We're waiting on something. What is it that we're waiting for? What is it that's going to get us over the hump, that we can get out of this mess that we feel like we're in? Well, the story of Ruth and Boaz provides us a powerful example of how simple acts of Kesed can affect generations to come. Now this Kesed is the Hebrew word used to describe God's relationship to Israel. It means faithful, it means just, it means merciful, it means kind. Ruth and Boaz's story is full of it. A little background. There's a famine in the land. There's not enough food for everybody. Naomi, a relationship with Ruth, her sons, they pass away. Ruth is left a widow. And in that time, it was very dangerous for a woman to not have the protection of a husband. But Naomi did not abandon Ruth. She stuck by Ruth, looking out for her welfare. In turn, Ruth says, Naomi, I will not leave your side. As a matter of fact, your God will be my God, and your people, my people. Ruth is a foreigner. The whole story, what we see in our passage is the first part and the last part, but there's always a middle. The middle, what does it look like? Naomi looked out for Ruth, Kesed. Ruth would not leave Naomi's side, Kesed. Boaz allows Ruth to work in her fields so that she can have safety and security and gives her water when she's thirsty. Kesed. Ruth wonders about the intentions of Boaz, 
And Boaz says, I'm simply repaying the kindness you showed to Naomi. Kesed. Ruth goes to lie down with Boaz. They both are wondering what the other's doing. They treat each other with respect. Ruth is blessed. Kesed. Boaz purchases land from the elders for the sole purpose of providing safety to Ruth. Kesed. They get married. Kesed. And we know the story, and we follow the family tree. A series of acts of Kesed changed this world. They had a son, Obed. Follow the strands. So there I stood in the living room on Tuesday night, waiting on the right candidate to be selected and waiting for the wrong candidate to shut up and go away, <coughs> waiting for the ridiculous commercials to end, I don't want to see another one, waiting for the result that would start to change this, this ugly, negative, just doom and gloom feeling. I was waiting on the right candidate to be chosen that would make all of this better. And then as... I suspect many of you know this voice, that shadow voice that whispers, and I finally heard it. You know, I'm hard-headed. It takes me a while. It was Wednesday when I hear it that says, who or what are you waiting for? I have showed you the way. I have come. I have risen. What is it that you're waiting for? And then the thought process changes. Does it matter, the leader, the politician, whatever you want to call it, that's in power, whether they be left-leaning, right-leaning, liberal, conservative, pro-life, pro-choice, non-traditional marriage, traditional marriage, bigot or no bigot, what really matters is who is in control. What are we waiting for? I'm reminded of that commercial. Have you seen it yet? Where the little girl is getting ready to walk into the store with her mother and she says, Mommy, I think it's almost Christmas time. You know, Christmas starts right after Halloween. <laughs> in case you didn't know. And then you think about that and you say, yes, hello, like, the people must have thought we're in the same place. A baby is coming. Christ, God, the one true king, that is who we serve. We know the way. We know the way, the truth, and the life. Micah alluded to it. What are we to do to change the tide of everything? Micah says to love mercy, 
to act justly and walk humbly with our God. We don't need another mission statement, another catchphrase. We don't need that. How many of you are over purple? You go, don't, I know it's Andy raising the hand. I mean, you don't want to hear, we don't need another mission statement. We don't need another catchy phrase. What we need is more acts of kesed. We need a greater concern for kesed. That is what God is concerned about. This is our role, regardless of what side of an issue we're on. And I think that's what the leadership of the church is after. It's not about agreeing to disagree. That's not what this is about. I think what leadership envisions is that this place, this people, right now, are called to do something now in this world together. To be a beacon of kesed in this world where we are. It's about rallying around what is essential and what leaving behind the bickering and the pettiness and the arguing over what's non-essential. There's one thing that's true in churches is it's never what's essential that divides. It's always what's non-essential. Kesson is essential. And it's important that we get this because it's not just about us. It's important we get this because the apples are watching and they're listening to it. One of our best phrases in education, we say it, we say, an apple never falls far from the tree. And not 100% of the time, but I can tell you after many years in education, that statement holds true most of the time. I remember one faithful night of putting together a sound bar I was mounting under my TV. And if you've ever done this before, have you ever used the little plastic anchors that you have to beat into the wall? I mean, they will make you lose so much religion. <laughs> and I'm sitting here with this stupid plastic anchor, and I'm trying to beat it, but it bends to the left and bends to the right. At this point, I'm over this plastic anchor. If I had a lighter, I would have burned it. And I have this hammer, and I say, you know what, I'm going to get this hammer. The small hammer didn't work, so I got a sledgehammer. And this is in drywall, mind you. And I take this hammer, and I just give it one good boom. Except I didn't hit the anchor at all. I hit my thumb. And in that moment, I said a word. And I said it with gusto. I mean, I said this word. I enunciated it. It was articulate. It was a four-letter word. And then what happens after that is something that is just like, wow. All of a sudden, Erin is much younger at this time, so she's at that point, you know, where she's just a diaper, as that's all the clothes she needs. And she starts running around the living room, and she says it over and over again. <laughs> and I'm trying to be like, oh my gosh, don't say that. And I'm like, Brandy, help me out, and she's over there in tears like. <laughs> but what that shows me is that they watch us. They imitate us. 
They listen to us. It's not about just us and what we feel, what I feel. There's a generation behind us that's watching us, that's listening. They see us on Facebook. They do. Sometimes they make it their missions just to go. I want to hear what mommy said. They can get into your stuff. You're not that, that, that aware. They hear us in the parking lot. You know when the kids are in the back seat and we're talking to the one church member about the other church member and can't believe they can be so ridiculous? They hear us. The windows aren't that thick. Our children are watching us. And I know it to be true because I saw you two. They don't know that I'm looking at them, but this is new for this sermon at 11 o'clock. They can get our phones because I looked at my phone to try to find a password and there I go, picture through picture, I see their two faces. They took my phone and took like 55 pictures. <laughs> what if there was something inappropriate on my phone? I would have seen it. We have to think. The world is watching us. It holds true even for millennials. When we wonder, oh, why are the millennials not here? Well, most of the studies say they're not here because they're tired of hearing what we're against and they want to know what God is for. We find ourselves so busy making statements. But yet, they drive around and they see the signs. You know the signs. Have you ever seen them on the corner? I almost got hit with a couple of them going into the precinct to vote. God hates this group of people. You're going to hell. This candidate believes in the right kind of marriage. This candidate believes in this, 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 and the other. They see that stuff. Jesus encouraged us, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, right? It's a good thing to participate in our form of government, to participate in the political process. That's what our country is about. But we must never confuse where our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. That is our first call. How many of you are here, now be honest, how many of you are here because the pastors are so handsome and articulate and beautiful and they preach the, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> good to know we're loved, right, for the right reason. <laughs> but seriously, like, how many of you are here because of that? Most of you probably not, but I bet you it's because at some point in your life, you found Kesed in a community. You can remember that one time where someone acted Kesed on your behalf, and it was then and only then that you knew God was real. Not some ideal. You felt it. The actions of another human being. If we're to turn the tide of this discourse, we must be in the visit of Kesed. One person, one action, one thought, one relationship at a time. That is the only thing that brings about transformation. You see it in the story of Ruth and Boaz, a series of acts of Kesed affected generations to come.
the kesed we do or don't do does not go unnoticed by the generations behind us. They watch closely. All this talk about red waves and blue waves. And we wonder why we're drowning, why we're thrashing about rocked to and fro. Like Peter, we're drowning in the waves because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus Christ who stands before us and invites us to participate, not in an ideal, but the kingdom of God, the values of kingdom now. What are we waiting for? We know the way. Our children don't know how any of us voted. They don't know. They weren't with us when we were in the ballot box. But what they see each and every day is how we act, what we say, and how we treat not only those in our home, but those beyond our home. They see it. It's the old hymn, we are one in the spirit. We'll work side by side. We'll walk together. They will know we're Christians, not by our statements, our dogma, or doctrine. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our kesed. They're watching. They're listening. What will 